Anybody ever read Charles Dickens? Anybody? Uh, Charles Dickens has a tale of two cities, and it starts off with, it was the best of times, was the worst of times. Remember that? Okay. So best of times because uh, the peeps have come out, because <laughs> Easter's coming, all right? And, and even the green peeps, but this one's been like here for like a few days, so he's not too happy. He's kind of hard. Okay? It's the worst of times because next week is daylight savings. Yeah, and uh, daylight savings is the it's the awful one where you lose an hour of sleep. So, which probably shouldn't bother you guys too much at all. Okay, which is great. Keep coming to this service. the The middle one's going to get really heavy really fast. So keep staying at this service. You're doing great. Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, some people ask because usually at the end any every message I talk about uh, giving. And some people ask, well, I don't give in the offering boxes, but I, I give online. Well, actually, fully 25% of Elements giving actually comes online. So you can go to our website, and if you want to give there, you can give there too. Don't feel like, because I say it at the end of every message, it's like, oh, i got to give in the offering box. Uh, the newcomer party that Tyler Bray was talking about is actually on the 27th of March, and we'd love to have you there. We're going to get together, have a lot of fun. You can ask us any questions you want, get to know us, run from us, because we're a little insane and then the gospel class i'm really hoping to be able to do it in the lounge back there so i'll get to sit on the couches and it's nice and comfy all right uh my message has got a lot of stuff in it this morning so we're going to get going why don't you stand with me reading god's word this is psalms chapter 19 verse 8 and it says the precepts of the lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the lord are radiant giving light to the eyes let's pray Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who learn how to walk in your light, who trust you and love you as you have revealed yourself to be, that the darkness that we want to try and hide in our own hearts would be exposed in your light and that we would walk to be the people that you call us to be. Amen. Have a seat. We are going through the Gospel of John, uh, but this morning as we start, we're going to do an overview of the entire Bible, so you're never getting out of here. Just You're going to have to go with me with this. Uh, if you want to come, I'm going to throw the verses up. You have to flip really fast to go to each one. Last service, it was great. We got about halfway through the one in Psalms, and people just stopped flipping because they were like, ah, I guess their hands got tired or something. They couldn't flip that fast. We're going to go and look at the scriptures, uh, the entire scriptures and their view of light and how John actually saw light. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, one word, light. Genesis 1 actually starts with light that God separates from the darkness. And the Jews would actually see that all through the rest of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that it was always God separating light from darkness. When you see clean and unclean, this was God separating light from darkness, death from life. So it starts with God separating light from the darkness. Genesis 1, 3, and 4 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. So God creates this light, and it becomes a metaphor throughout the rest of Scripture of what God does in humans' lives throughout history. Uh, l- this life begins with God and light. Light is the foundational element of all life. You have no life, uh, plants will begin to die, and then no plants and animals begin to die, no plants and animals, we die. So we all kind of need light. Uh, in Exodus, this whole thought continues. When the children of Israel, they wandered around in the wilderness, in the desert, after they get out of slavery, God provides a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them through this wilderness. It worked like this. When the fire moved, you would move. When the fire didn't move, 
you wouldn't move. You would wait for the fire. In the end of Exodus, what, what happens is you see that the, that the Jews create this thing called a tabernacle. They were living in tents in the desert, and so God has them also create a tabernacle, a tent for him to come and live with, to dwell with his people while they're in the wilderness. And in this tabernacle, they put lampstands to burn to show that God is the light of the world. So in the book of Psalms, if you want to go there, we're going to go there. Just blaze through this here. Uh, Psalms has light dominate the entire book of Psalms. In Psalm 19.8, yes, someone's going for it. Here we go. Psalms 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. I read this to begin with. Uh, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So this is a metaphor. Light is a metaphor for the teachings of God and how we are to govern our conduct. God's word brings light and it's, it illumines our lives so we walk a path like the Israelites did in the desert. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So light is untied to salvation. The light of God leads to a relationship with God. Psalm 36, 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we will see light. So God has life and light in himself and he gives that to you and I by his Grace. Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. When God delivers us from our sin and our pain and our anger to walk with Him, that is considered light. Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. So day by day, this means all of our lives, our sexuality, our finances, our employment, our marriage, our educations. God's light shows us practically how to walk and live life. Psalm 90, verse 8, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So everything comes to light before God. All the things that we try to hide, He brings to light. Part of the purpose of the light is to show us our own sins so we know how to change. Psalm 118, verse 27, The Lord is God and He has made His light shine upon us. This is an idea that, that God is light. In, in 1 John 1, 5, it says, God is light, in him there is no darkness. This is kind of the, the metaphor like on a cold day and you walk outside and the sun comes out of the clouds and it sits on your skins and your skin begins to prickle up because it's nice and warm. It's, that's the idea that the light shines on you, it fills you, it warms you. That's the concept of what God does to our souls. They kind of prickle up and we're like, oh, and it feels good when he shines upon us. Psalm 119, verse 130. When you get to Psalm 119, you still have more verses than the number. It's amazing. Uh, The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. So rightly appropriating this light is not contingent on you and I being smart. Thank God. Okay? The most simple people can get God. God's grace shines his light so everybody, including you and I, simple folk, can actually understand who God reveals himself to be. Ecclesiastes, three chapters over. Uh, 2.13. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. So light is also a metaphor for wisdom, practical daily living. Wisdom is light from God. Isaiah 51, verse 4. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. The law will go out for me. My justice will become a light to the nations. So the law and justice of God are light. Uh, In Psalm 53, it's a prophecy of of who Jesus is going to be 500 years before his birth. Psalm 53, 11 speaks of his death. It says, after his suffering, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. This is resurrection. Resurrection is equated with light. It's a function of the light. Now, this is a very brief brief glimpse of the Old Testament in light. It's what tells you that it guides us. It shows us the commands of God, the teachings of God, salvation, life, deliverance, how to walk, exposes our sin, exposes darkness, shows us God, His Word, His wisdom, His law, God's justice, and ultimately God's resurrection, all in the simple concept of light. 
Now, if you're new here this morning, I usually don't just bombard you like this, okay? But this, you have to get this to understand where we're going. So you all with me? Yeah. You take a deep breath and be like, oh, okay, okay. So John, John comes on the scene and he, and he re- relates his gospel. And he relates Jesus showing up as all of these ideas of light. For John, light is primary in his, the primary metaphor he uses in his writings from the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. So we're going to look at light in those books. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. John even starts his book like this. In him, Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It says Jesus is light. So John starts off and he takes all of these Old Testament ideas that all the Jews would have had, and he said those are found in Jesus. All the Old Testament foreshadows is found in Jesus. It's like we live in a world that resembles the dark side of the moon that, that never sees the light. It's a metaphor for lostness and sin and folly where people are groping around and, and they can't find where they're supposed to go because it's dark. They're unknowing that they're even blind because they've never seen the light. And in this darkness, Jesus shows up and he goes, boop, and he turns on a light switch. And I don't know if you've ever been in the dark and someone turns on a light switch. What do you do? Ah! <laughs> Turn off the light switch. You know, makes sense. I, when, when my wife and I first got married the first couple years, I used to, I, I have bizarre dreams, and I wake up, and I'm, and I'm still sleeping, and I think I'm awake, and I'm not. And I used to dream that there were always, like, bugs and lizards crawling across the walls of our bedroom. And so I'd get out of bed, and I'd be like, and I'd start smacking the walls. Because like, apparently you kill a lizard by smacking it, apparently. And so, and then I can't see it well enough, so I'm like, i got to turn on the light. So I go over, and I turn on the light. And, like, the first couple of years, she's like, ah, <laughs> what, the, what are you doing? Turn it off, you know, and she lets you cover her head. After we're married about three or four years, I, I walk over and I turn the light and she just starts going, there's nothing on the wall, turn off the light, go back to bed, and that's just... But the light, if you've ever had that happen, the light is an offense when, you, when someone shines it on you when you're dead asleep. And what happens is that, is that John says that this is how people reacted to Jesus in the world. And those in darkness rebel against that light. They want it snuffed out. Verse 9 in chapter 1 actually says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. John says that sin is darkness, metaphorically and practically. There are some sins and stuff that you and I will only do at night. We will not do during the day because it's under the canopy of darkness. Because in the dark, you can do things that other people won't see. If you get robbed, it will typically be at night, not during the day, because they love to be able to hide in the darkness. Most people who drink too much and then go out and do something really stupid, they usually do that at 1 a.m., 1 a. not 1 in the afternoon. If you do it in one in the afternoon, you need to seek professional help because it's really, really bad when it gets there. But the light exposes our sin. Uh, D.L. Moody says, character is what a man is in the dark. In the dark. Our character, typically in the, in the dark, is, is bad. In the light, we act very proper, but alone in the dark, we do things we would be ashamed of in the light. You know, things that we wouldn't do in the middle of the mall or down at the IHOP, we do in the dark. John says, the, the world is filled with those who live in the dark and they hate the light because they can't get away with it. It's like you. Imagine you're at home and something comes on the TV you probably shouldn't be watching. And you decide, well, I'm just going to watch that anyway. And, so you start, and all of a sudden, so you start watching it and boom, then I and the elders and Jesus show up and we're like, hey, what are you watching? <laughs> and what are you smoking? Who are you talking to in that chat room? You know, it's like, oh, 
And we don't like it because you get caught. In, uh, sometimes you watch these, these news chases. A criminal in L.A. And, and they're going, it's night, and they're, and they're running. They bring out the helicopter. And it goes, boom, and they follow them with that light. And they can't get away once that light gets on top of them. It's like, oh, my, it, it exposes them. We were supposed to go to Haiti and help build an orphanage last year, work with this orphanage. And I was reading all the bulletins about Haiti, and what they all say is, you stay in your hotel at night. You don't go out. And I'm thinking, well, we could hop in a car, and we could work all day and then drive at night back to the hotel. And they say, no, they will pull you out of your car. They will beat you and take your car. You know, So you just stay in at night. That's what you do. Daytime, it's fine. You go anywhere you want, anything you want to do. Nighttime, you stay inside. And this is the soul's perspective on God. We sin, and the light comes, and we want to hide. You know, why, why don't we step out into the light and just go, okay, I need to be in the light, guilty. I, I have some things that I think why, and I'll just throw them out to you. Hopefully, hopefully these aren't just me. Hopefully these are like other people besides me. But uh, we don't step out and go guilty because we're afraid of God's punishment, which is kind of dumb because it's like God doesn't know what we're doing unless he, he catches us. He doesn't have to catch you. God can drop a rock or a plane on you anywhere he wants to, okay? That's... We don't step out and go guilty because the light hurts. Honesty becomes very painful. The illusion that we are good people is very easy in the dark. And you can surround yourself by your friends who may be more pathetic than you are and go, it's not as bad as them. You, you can do that. But in, in the dark, it's very hard to look at yourself honestly. Honestly. Uh, we, we think we're all fine. Then Jesus shows up and he exposes and we just all of our stuff just sits there exposed. And we're like, oh, I guess I'm not that great. And we get convicted. And our first reaction is, is shame because we're exposed. Uh, we don't spend go guilty because we love the darkness. The darkness is fun. I was talking to this guy a couple months ago. He's a pastor. And pastors are weird people. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, really. I, th- I don't think I'm as weird as others, but apparently I am. So, th- so I'm talking to this guy. And, he, and this is what he says about some people in his church. He goes, I don't know why these people keep running around having sex. I'm like, I do. <laughs> You don't, you don't need a PhD for that. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty darn simple. Same reason people put all these things on their credit cards. They have five drinks instead of two. We get satisfaction in the dark. The darkness feels good. And when the light comes, we don't like it, so we run farther into the dark to stay away from it so we can stay where we're at because it's comfortable. We love the darkness. Sometimes uh, we don't come into the light because we hate the light. Uh, you know, we think, well, what right does God have to tell me what to do? Why does he get control and not me? I mean, we, we want control even when we have messed up our entire lives. We still want control and we think we can figure it out. And we can't because we're the ones who messed it up in the first place. I think we don't come into the light because we fear rejection. And we think that if God sees how bad we are, he won't really love us. And that's a lie because he does. I think we don't step into the light because we think, well, maybe God will like me. What will other people think? You know, it's okay if God knows all my stuff, but not everybody else. Because look, we are all liars. Everybody, when, when it comes down to a thing where we don't want to look stupid, we are so tempted just to say, oh, well, that wasn't me. That was so, we, we all want to lie to kind of protect our image and our reputations. I really love people when they first come to know Jesus because they're so honest about everything. It's like there's they no pretense. You're like, you're like, how you doing? And they go, not good. I ate vodka with my orange juice and smoked a bowl. Then I came to church. And you're like, okay. Okay. I'm not surprised they did it. I'm surprised they told me that they did it. See, because you've been in church two or three weeks, and it's like, how you doing? Fine. How are you? As they walk away all bleary-eyed, you know. Because that's, that's what people are like. Every, it, anybody watch the show House? Anybody ever see the show House? House's motto, everybody lies. Everybody does. 
It, you know, uh, sometimes coming to the light means that we are going to have to make some type of recompense to people that we have hurt, and we will then be exposed, and we have to be really honest about stuff so we don't like it. Uh, stepping out of the light, I think the last reason that I have personally is that it, you could lose some friends if you do. For many guys, I will tell you this. <laughs> I think this is funny because a lot of guys, all of our social networks are built around sin. Uh, we drink too much, we cuss too much, talk about women, and occasionally we shoot things. Yes, see, just like that. <laughs> you know, for women, you get together and people talk, and eventually it goes to places of gossip. And you know, it's like when, if you step into the light, all of a sudden you might lose friends because then all of a sudden you don't drink as much as you used to. You don't you don't talk about women inappropriately. You only shoot things that are legal. Shoot, you know. If all of your friends are in darkness and you step into the light, your social network is gone. So there's all these reasons why we don't want to. And yet, and all of a sudden, John says, these are all the things the Old Testament has said, and all these things are found true in who Jesus is. So I want you to take both of those things, okay, and keep those in the forefront of your mind as we hit John chapter 8. So turn to John chapter 8 if you have a Bible. We're going to start in verse 12. John 8 is the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the three great feasts that the Jews had. They're celebrating God delivering his people from slavery when they lived in tents. During this time again, God said, well, I'll come and live in a tent and dwell with my people there also. And the celebration, they would go into a place called the Court of the Women. The Court of the Women is where the offerings were actually given. So it's an enormous celebration. This uh, section of what's happening at the celebration is done at night. And so in the Court of the Women at night, they would have these gigantic candelabras. And they'd be filled with something that burned brightly. It's kind of like no electricity. So if you're at your house and electricity goes out, you light candles so you can see and not run into a door or something. So they have these giant candles. Early writers actually have said that these candles or these burning things they had, you could see the flames for two miles away. That's how bright these burned. So, so that's the setting. You're in the middle of that. And, and they, would, they would shoot these flames into heaven and illuminate the temple because they wanted to show two things, that God is light and in him there is no darkness. And the second thing is they wanted to put flesh on the concept that light exposes everything in the darkness. So this is what it's like. Jesus steps into the court of the women and he begins to teach in that setting. 8.12 it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. This is a cosmic statement. He's standing in front of these candelabras, the ones that were supposed to show everybody that God is the light of the world. This is what they represent. God is the light of the world. In Him, there is no darkness. And Jesus stands in front of that during the celebration where, where there's people playing music and people you know, singing over here and there's people dancing because they're not Baptists. And they're, you know, they're doing all, all of these things. And Jesus stands up and He says... I am the light of the world. This is a huge statement. People who think Jesus never claimed to be God are smoking crack. I'm telling you, you are Jesus, you are lost, and I bring the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How do you partake in that light that Jesus gives? You follow him. In American Christianity, we ask things like, well, did you invite Jesus into your heart? You know, did you cry at a rally? No? Well, maybe you're not saved. Well, you look at Jesus, Jesus said the truest test of a believer is do they follow Jesus? That's it. John 15, 4, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. The word follow throughout scripture is translated five different ways. It's translated as a military term for when a soldier follows his captain. So there is someone that gets to command us. Christ is our general. We are the private. And when he speaks, we do it because we are under authority. He has 
authority. It's fashionable and even tolerated in our society for, for kids to disobey their parents and, and wives respect their husbands and husbands dishonor their wives in Scripture and God because our society hates authority. Our society throws off all authority. And we like it when Jesus comes. Well, Jesus is a therapist and he's really nice and he dispenses advice. But not when he's a general that dispenses orders. We like the buddy Jesus. We like the friend Jesus, not the commander-in-chief Jesus. And yet, the word for follow is a military term. Uh, the second way it's used in Scripture, it's a slave in regard to his master. And if you don't like the military term, you really don't like the slave term because it's like, oh. You know, we think that we are free to determine our own destiny. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture says that you're either a slave to sin, Satan, and death or to Christ's love and life. That's it. That's it. I mean, people go, well, I don't sin. Well, okay, fine. If you think you're not, you're not a slave to sin, then just stop sinning. Never sin. We even have this saying that says nobody's perfect. Right, right. We're all slaves. You either belong to sin and grace, to sin or to grace, to death or to life. You're a slave. The question is, who is our master? It's an issue of redemption. Christ bought us out of slavery to be gods again. Freedom is when we realize we are bought and brought from Satan, sin, and death to God, grace, and life, and we are free to live as God intended us to live with God by His grace. And we are never truly free till we actually belong to God. Follow. Uh, follow is also someone following the counsel of a right teacher. It's the idea that we stumble in darkness, and, and Jesus, our teacher, speaks wisdom and light into our lives when we follow. Uh, we learn from God and Christ when we follow those things. Uh, it's shown as a citizen obeying the laws of a king and his kingdom. So Jesus is our king, and we are to follow because he sits on a throne. And it is the king's glory that is more important than our own. And the fifth way it's shown is it understands the line of reasoning that lives itself out daily in people's lives. So practical events. It's like, I belong to God, so I, I, I live that out. It's lived out in how I eat and how I love and how I raise my kids and how I use my tongue and how I work. It all comes down to Jesus and his authority. And this is hard for people because there's an awful lot of assuming that I am always wrong and he is always right, which is always the case. So we must bite our lip a lot. But we go and we, and we fight the notion that he's Lord and God and judge and parent and commander and teacher. And we only want to follow when he's buddy. You know why? Because we live in the darkness and we hate the light. There is darkness in us that finds the authority of God an offense to who we are in our own glory. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This bugs the Pharisees. Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, the Old Testament required you to have a couple of witnesses to make a statement. Like if you showed up and someone said, hey, you're driving drunk. And you said, no, I wasn't. And they said, where's your witnesses? And you go, well, I don't have any. And they say, well, we're not going to believe you because you have a vested interest in lying to me so you don't get a ticket. You know, they're asking Jesus, where are your witnesses? Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. He says, God doesn't need witnesses because he tells the truth. Why is the Bible true? Because God spoke it. He doesn't need human testimony. He says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. This means I came from heaven, going back. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. He goes, you want a witness? How about God? You put him in the little box, you know, have him put his hand on his own book and have him swear, do you, God, swear, tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you, you. You know? 
You know, says, witness. How about God the Father? Verse 17. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My, my other witness is the Father who sent me. And they don't want to argue against this. So what they do with Jesus is they call in the question of his birth. They essentially say to him, well, your mom is a slut and your dad is an idiot who believed her. They infer that Jesus is a bastard. And if you're going to hear it in church, you may as well as hear it in the right context. Right? Okay. So verse 19, they asked him, where is your father? Sure, we've heard the stories that your mom's a virgin. That's what all the girls say when they get knocked up. You know, that's, that's, uh, we don't really believe that. You know, and, you know, show us your real dad. We don't know who that is. And Jesus responds, you do not know me or my father. And they know exactly who he's talking about when he says that. And this is a very strong statement to make to religious professionals. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. This is like the Pharisees are so like people today. They say, well, I know God. I'm just not really sure about that. Jesus. Well, then Jesus says you don't know God. He says you cannot know the father except through the son. Verse 20, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put, the court of the women, like, like I said. Uh, yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. I'm going back to heaven and will die in your sin. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? And Jesus, again, is speaking of his death and his resurrection. And they think he's talking about killing himself. Verse 23, but he continued, you are from below. And this now goes back to the whole idea of light because it's all in the context of light. You are from below, meaning you live in darkness. I am from above, meaning I bring the light. You are of this world, dark. I am not of this world, light. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, if you're actually looking at the scriptures right there where it says that I am the one I claim to be, the one I claim to be is actually written there to help you understand Jesus' line of reasoning. Uh, back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Moses, Go, I've heard my people crying out, and so I want you to go and, and get them out of slavery. And so Moses goes, well, when they say, who sent me? I can't just say Moses because I've already kicked out of Egypt once. Now what? And so God says, okay, tell them I am sent you. God says, my name is I am. And in this verse right here, it says, it says I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. The, rest, the, the one I claim to be is actually just tacked on for your benefit to follow the line of reasoning. But it actually says, if you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Cosmic statement. Of Jesus claiming to be God. If you do not bring your sin under his light, you will die in them. Verse 25, who are you, they asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, which is very popular to say in our day. Uh, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. He's, and this means he speaks what the Father says. Verse 27, did not understand that he was telling them about his Father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man's crucifixion, then you will know that I am, the one I claim to be, again, is in there for you for the line of reasoning. Then you will know that I am, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now, next week we'll actually look more at this I am statement and what that means. But this last line, for I always do what pleases him, this is a beautiful statement of Jesus' life. He says, I do what pleases the Father. That's what I do. I mean, I think it'd be great if one day when we die, we could say the same thing. This is, we did what pleased the Father. Verse 30 says, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. A lot of people opposed Jesus through his entire life, yet John adds at the end that many still believed in him. 
You know, those, those step, step forward and said, I will live and walk in the light of God. You do what pleases the Father, I'll follow you, and then I will please the Father. We will continue in the light. That's what we will do. Okay, so that's that little section. Now what I want to do with you, and I'll do this very quickly, sort of. I'm going to show you what happens to those who walk in the light shown throughout the rest of Scripture. So if you want to flip with me, I'll be really impressed if you do. But here we go. This is Acts chapter 26, 17 and 18. Jesus says of the Apostle Paul, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In the light, this means that you are delivered from Satan to God, that your sins are forgiven, and you get faith to become what you were always meant to be. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When you step into the light, you can then only see the gospel of Christ clearly. What he calls us to be what he has accomplished on our behalf and you get joy 2 Corinthians 4 6 for God who said let light shine out of the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ this light is then placed to the essence of who we are Ephesians 5 8 and 9 for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth as you live in the light of God you'll have new conduct by the grace of Christ You become governed by righteousness and goodness and not selfishness by living under the light of God. We are not perfect. We are not perfect. But at one point, the light caused us pain. And now what begins to happen is the light that caused... The darkness now begins to cause us as much pain as the light once did. And we actually find the darkness becoming distasteful because we follow. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. Remaining in the light means that we realize we are children of God. Titus 1.3 said we are told that He has appeared at His appointed season. He brought His word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So God continues to reveal Himself through His word. 1 Peter 2.9 That you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Under God, we've been made a new people, and we are priests of that new kingdom, and our darkness has been healed, and we walk in the light. First John 1 John 1.7, we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Remaining under the light means that we become purified from our sins. It gives us a relationship with God and other people again. 1 John 2, 9 and 10. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing to make in him that makes him stumble. If you live in the light, you will love and forgive those who have sinned against you. Through the gospel, the darkness between God and us has been removed. And that means that we need to remove what stands between us and other people. Because God's light now shines through us and restores lost and broken relationships. If you harbor something against somebody else, if you hate somebody, you are not using and revealing the light that was given to you. Revelation 21, 23. The city, this is God's great city, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. When you walk in that city, we will walk by virtue of the glory of the light of God. We will not need lamps anymore. And the idea kind of goes that, that when Christ was here, He veiled His glory because if He let it go, we would just be burnt to a crisp. And so He veils that. In the new Jerusalem, this means that sin is gone, darkness is gone, literally and metaphorically. Revelation 22.5, there will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, 
the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. We eventually become these lamps through God's grace in which His light shines and there is no darkness in us or around us forever. Take a deep breath. Okay. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. But this is the, the concept of light throughout Scripture. Like I said, it's a cosmic concept. It's huge. And I, and I know when I, when I do this, my, my friend Jean Holmquist, she usually goes, Stop it. You're overwhelming me. But this is important for us to understand. When Jesus makes a statement like, I am the light of the world, what does that represent? It represents all of these things for you and I. We must be people who hate the darkness. Not hate those who live in the darkness, but hate the darkness ourselves so we live in the light. And love those who are lost in the darkness because the darkness goes against all that we were created for, all that we were created to be. So this week, I'm going to give you an assignment. I don't normally do this. You don't have to write this down because it will be very simple, okay? A very simple assignment. I want you to meditate this week, not in the Eastern sense like, oh, and you kind of get rid of everything in your mind, okay? But, but in, in, in a Christian sense. Uh, in a Christian sense, when you meditate, you take a word or a thought or an idea from Scripture and you think on that. It's like a... Like a it. I made it the whole time without that happening. Almost. Dun, dun. It, it's, it's like a, a, a tea bag in tea in hot water. And the longer it sits, the stronger the tea becomes. That's the idea. We, we think about a concept in Scripture and it, and it steeps in us. And we become full and we become rich. And so what I want you to think about this week is the concept of light. Light. Uh, what it means you were called a child of His light that you're called to walk in His light and to show that light to others. And every time you come in contact with light this week, I want you to just take a minute and think about this. Okay? When, you, uh, when you turn the light in your home, and you're like, oh, I, I can see. When in the middle of the night and you've got to go to the bathroom really bad and you've you got a little night light sitting there so you don't like run into a closed door. You're like, well, what does it light? It's illuminating your path. And you go to the fridge, and you open the fridge, and it lights up, and you can see all the food. If you have one of those fridges where the light's burnt out, replace it. It's annoying. Okay? Replace the light. And you open up the fridge door, and it illuminates all the food. And you're like, oh, i got to throw that away because it's turning purple. You know, and and Because it exposes all the stuff in your fridge. So think about that. You're driving down the road, and someone's coming at you, and they got their high beams on. Don't be all, ah, high beam, idiot. You know, Be like, what are the high beams doing? They're illuminating you, <laughs> exposing you and your car. But what is that doing? It's illuminating. That's what the light does. And I want you to, any time you come in contact with light this week, just, just kind of think about that and, and spend some time doing that because, because that is what light does in the darkness. It illuminates so that we can see. And, and then think, okay, God, how are you speaking to me through this and your words so that I will gravitate more to walking in your light? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's the intent, that you and I are to live and walk in the light because he is the light of the world. It's one of the reasons we come to communion every single week. Because as you, as you break that cracker, and, and it reminds us that his body was broken for you and I, you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, that his blood was shed for you and I, and that this comes and gives us hope because the darkness in us was removed and he longs to through his death and his resurrection to take us into the light removing the darkness that is within us it's communion so we worship god through communion we worship god through song the band's gonna come up mostly they're here 
we're going to worship God through some songs. These songs that remind us of the light of who God is. Uh, there's going to be some deacons and elders in the back of the room. And if you need prayer, if, if, you, if you're like, I've been walking in, in darkness and I want to learn how to walk in the light, have them pray for you. If, if you are a believer and, you, and you're like, man, I really want to step into the light, but I don't know if I can and, and I'm a really afraid, well, pray with them. They'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, you know, last service, I, it, it was kind of amazing to me because Eric, probably until 10 minutes before the service started, was praying for people. You know, they would love to pray with you. We worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back of the room uh, because God gave to us, so we give back to Him. It's, it's, it's pretty simple in the concept of offering His light. And I know I say this every week, but I, I say it again. You know, you worship God also through fellowship. How you live and interact with other people, how you, how you offer them grace and goodness by the way that you live, that's worship. That's worship of who God is. And if there's anything between you and somebody else, remove that. Get that out of the way so that you can have relationships like you are supposed to have with other people. Live and love and allow Jesus to to live through you so that you reflect that light of the world so that they know who he is. Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, I do ask that we would learn to be your people of people who walk in the ways that you call us to. God, honestly, it it is so much easier to live in the darkness and to run and not step into the light. But I ask that you would give our hearts and our souls the strength, even today, to step out to how you call us to live, the people that you've called us to be, and that we would truly follow you and not think that we are always right, but trust that you are. God, give us strength. Give us wisdom. Help us to understand the metaphor of light and that as you shine the light for our paths, we walk the way you want us to go and we would find joy in that light. And we would hold to the grace and the strength that you have given us to walk in your light. Amen.